0: How many of you are excited about a brand new year? Let's hear it. You excited about a brand new year? All right, all right, all right. How about a new brand new decade? Anybody excited about a brand new decade? Awesome, awesome. Thank you to Pastor Cody last week for doing a fantastic job. Talked, he talked about the power of a decade and I hopefully you were blessed by that and you heard what he had to say. If you want this next decade to be better than your last decade, you really have to do some evaluation, you have to do some motivation, and you have to execute. And so uh, that was a fantastic talk that he gave last week. And uh, how, how many of you were blessed by that talk last week by Pastor Cody? Awesome. We are starting a brand new series called Upgrade. Before I do that, I want to welcome everyone at our Franklin campus, our Banta campus, our Garfield Park campus, everyone watching online, and also our microsites, to the Theodora House and the Johnson County Work Release. Can we give it up for all of our sites right now? Thanks for joining in today upgrade what is an upgrade you know what an upgrade is right it's when you you go to the next level you trade something in for the newest model I'll give you a quick definition for it so we can all know and get on the same page an upgrade is basically an improvement a new version or an improved model we upgrade our phones don't we that's probably the thing we upgrade the most anybody upgrade their phone over the Christmas break get a new phone for Christmas okay okay awesome maybe you got the 11 or some version of Another phone. <laughs> um, well, I'm an Apple person, so I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with the other phones. But uh, we upgrade uh, our technology, our computers. We're familiar with upgrades. We upgrade things in our home, whether it, sometimes it's a kitchen, sometimes it's our floors. We upgrade things constantly in different areas of our life. Sometimes we, we upgrade, you know, things at work. You know, we get new systems at work or new technology at work or whatever. One of the things that we upgrade often is our automobiles. That's, that's right, we, we love, Americans love to, to get new cars, that's what we do. I remember my first automobile, how many of you remember your first car? Some of you are still driving your first car because you're a teenager and you're a younger person. It'll change. My first car was a Mazda 323 hatchback. I mean, let's go way back 1995. This thing had roll up windows, you know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever experienced windows that you actually have to physically roll up? Some of you are like, what? There's such a thing as roll up windows, yes. My Mazda 323 did not have power locks, so you had to push the button down and you had to use your key to get into the car. And when you locked it on the way out, you had to hold the handle up and push it close. <laughs> it was one of those, those guys. Obviously it didn't, it didn't have leather seating, it was, it was cloth. Uh, my Mazda 323 did not have a CD player. We used to have these things called CDs. Pastor Cody talked about how some of us don't even know what a CD is anymore, I've never seen one. Um, but it didn't even have a CD player. Back when CDs were really, really, hot and the newest and sharpest thing. Uh I didn't ha- I couldn't play CDs in my Mazda. I-, I had to get uh the uh the cassette tapes. Anybody remember the, the cassette tapes? Yeah. And I had some Wu Tang Clan on there and and <laughs> Pearl Jam and and I wasn't a Christian at that time, so I had all kinds of I remember making mixtapes. Mixtapes. Yeah I had mixtapes of all of the Wu Tang and, you know, all that you know guys, anyway, uh, don't listen to them anymore, but uh, man, my when I upgraded my car, it was like life changed. power locks you could get into your car with your remote control I mean. CD player, I, my next car I think had a sunroof. It was unbelievable. Power seats, I just hit a button, my seat would go it was, it was the most amazing thing because up to that point I had to reach down and pull the lever to move my seat back and pull the side lever to go back this way, you know, bump down the road with Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> and my Mazda 323 hatchback, I was a pretty cool cat back then. Um, the girls loved me, they really did. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife's here. Sorry, honey. That was, they didn't love me. They didn't. They, um, but man, when I upgraded to the, to the next car, it was like life changed. Now cars today, you upgrade and your, your phone syncs with your car and talks to you and you don't even, it's all hands-free and everything's unbelievably easy and functional and there's cameras in your car now. You can see behind you, in front of you, on your sides. It's, it's amazing what, how far we've come. Upgrades. I want to talk to you about upgrading your life. Not your car, not your phone, but your life. I believe with all my heart that God wants to upgrade your life and my life. Like to grow and to mature and to make progress is natural for us. If you have kids or grandkids, right, and and they're not maturing like they should be or they're not growing physically or emotionally or even intellectually in school, we call a timeout. We're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You should be further along at this time. You're not growing physically like you should. You're not growing emotionally like you should. And what we do is we bring in help, we bring in counselors, we call the teachers, right? Why, because our children and our grandchildren are not upgrading, they're not getting to the next level, they're not getting better and so we know they should be because it's normal to get better and smarter and stronger and taller and bigger. And so when, when our children struggle to grow and upgrade, like we, we call a timeout, we jump in and we get involved. Then as adults, you know, we just kind of, we don't expect that from ourselves anymore because we stop growing physically, you know. We're out of college, you know. We, we, we kind of settle in and we kind of flatline and then, and then we don't really upgrade like we should be. I'm here to tell you today that even if you're an adult and you're out of college or in your first career, second career, God is still expecting you to get to the next level and to grow and to be constantly maturing because to grow and to upgrade is to be human. And when we stop growing and stop making progress, we're on the, we're on the downside. We're, we're, we're starting to die. I love what Ed Milet said. He's an author, a podcaster, and a speaker. He said, we should always, always be in the process of changing and becoming the next best version of ourselves. Now, some of you get this, and and I'm I'm preaching to the choir here to some of you. You're like, man, I know, because it's New Year's, and I got my resolutions, and I got my goals. How many of you set New Year's resolutions and goals this year? Because you get this. Like, you're ready for a brand new year. Some of you are, like, slipping your hand up like this, and you don't want people to see, because... Come on, be proud. How many of you actually, you know, set goals in New Year's resolution? All right, that's awesome. Because you know that, man, that life is supposed to be getting better. I'm supposed to be making progress, you know, physically, spiritually, in my life, you know, uh, my my finances, I'm supposed to be getting better and better and better. And so we set these New Year's resolutions, but we struggle. We struggle with what Pastor Cody called execution last week, the third point of his talk. 80% of us fail at our new year's resolutions. Around the second week of February we give up. <laughs> some of you are still hanging in there, but we struggle. We struggle to execute and follow through. I want to talk to you about execution over the next couple weeks. I want to give you some ideas over the next 4 weeks that are going to help us follow through and and experience so that we can experience the upgrade that God has in mind for us. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's probably the greatest story in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's it's a, a metaphor for our lives. It's not only a historical fact of what happened, but I think it, it, speaks, it speaks to all of us today. It's the story of God delivering his people, the Israelites, out of 400 years of slavery from the Egyptians into the promised land. It didn't happen immediately, it was a slow process. They had to go through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and, and, but eventually they made it into. the promised land it's it's probably the greatest story in the bible of an upgrade someone that leaves slavery which is a metaphor for us some of us are enslaved to spending and cigarettes or alcohol or or some other or a relationship and and we're going to move out of slavery into the promised land which was a land flowing with milk and honey and freedom and and just the good life a better life what jesus would call today the abundant life It's a story of a great upgrade. If you know the story, it's real simple. It's not simple, but uh, some of you remember it from maybe Sunday school. The Israelites are in slavery and they're they're, they're just done and they're crying out to God and, and, and God finally hears them and listens and he sends Moses. And Moses comes and he delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, the 10 plagues, remember the 10 plagues? If you haven't seen the movie, read the the story in Exodus. 10 plagues, powerful movement of God. Pharaoh finally lets the people go. Moses takes them across the Red Sea. When they get across the Red Sea, there's some good times and some good things are happening. And then when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, he sends out the 12 spies, Ten of them come back and they say, we can't do it. Their people are too big. We're going to die. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And only two of them are like, no, let's go. Joshua and Caleb, right, those are the two guys. They believe that they can go up. And God says, you know what? I'm going to punish you guys for your lack of faithfulness. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. You're not going to go directly into the promised land because you lack faith. You're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. I'm going to feed you from heaven with manna. And you're going to learn to trust me, but you're not going to go in. And finally, after 40 years, Moses dies because Moses was unfaithful to God in the sense that he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Remember, they were really, the Israelites were, were thirsty and, and Moses was supposed to talk. Instead, he smoted the rock, King James Version. <laughs> and, and, and the water came out and God says, you know what? Because you got angry and lost your temper, you're not going to take the people into the promised land. Joshua is. Joshua is. And so Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. Not without struggles, not without problems. We never make progress without difficulty, but they eventually make it into the promised land. This is a metaphor for your life. I believe that God wants to take you into your own promised land. You say, how, how do you know that? Well, if you read the Bible, you know, you pick up themes. And the theme of the scripture, one of the themes of scriptures is God wanting to take your life and elevate it to the next level. Some of you have chosen Jeremiah 29 verse 11 to be your life verse. And it's a great verse. Let me read it to you. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for, say it with me, for good. Not for disaster, not for harm, but for good. Plans to give you future and, say it with me, and a hope. Now, why do people choose this to be their life verse? Because it produces energy. It produces excitement. It produces hope that God has something better for me than where I'm currently at right now. That's God's heart. He's wanting to upgrade your life. I don't know how. Maybe it's in the area of finances. Maybe it's a relationship that's gone sour. Maybe it's a relationship with your children. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an addiction that you need to be set free from. I, maybe it's better choices and decisions you need to make. I'm not sure. But I, I do know one thing that is for sure. That he wants to upgrade your life. Ben Thor is a thriller novelist. and He said this. I love these words. Success leaves clues. And if you sow the same seeds, you'll reap the same rewards. I I live my life this way. Success leaves clues. People who have successful marriages, they they leave clues. People who run a successful business, they leave clues. People who run a successful church, they leave clues. There are things that they do and they leave them behind. Well, if you and I could learn those clues and, and do what they have done, we will get the same results. What if we could look at the story of the Israelites? as they go from 400 years of slavery into the promised land and through the wilderness of the 40 years, what if we could learn what they did and, and, and apply it to our lives? Do you think maybe we could experience the same upgrade they did? Do you think maybe we could take our lives to the next level? Do you think we can step into a promised land, yes or no? That's what I would like to do over the next couple of weeks, just look at some things that I've seen in this story and apply it to our own lives. Let's talk about this first one, number one. Today I want to talk to you about extreme clarity. If you're going to have an upgrade, you must have extreme clarity. you got to know what you want. You have to know what the promised land looks like. You cannot hit a target that you do not have. T. Harv Eckert is a speaker and author and to, to business people. and He said the number one reason that most people don't get what they want is because they don't know what they want. I mean, we kind of do in a vague, general sense. I'd like to be happy. I'd like to have more money. I'd like to have a different job. I'd like to be, you know, maybe get married one day. Okay, we're, 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 we're very vague with, with the promised land, with the upgrade in our lives. We don't really know what, it, what the future looks like or we, we, what we want the future to look like. It's nebulous. It's like, a, it's like a fog. It's unclear to us. Did you know that only 3% of Americans have written goals? 3%. 97% of Americans like, yeah, I kind of hope, you know, this year it would be different, it will be better. How? Well, I don't know. Not really sure. You know, maybe happier, maybe not be so angry. Maybe have a better marriage. You didn't write it down. You didn't get super clear about what you wanted and what, what that promised land, what that, the land of milk and honey looks like for you. We don't achieve our goals because we don't really know what we want. Do you know the nature of the kingdom of God is asking? The nature of prayer is asking. When Jesus was teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to these words, listen to what he said Ask, and you will be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. If Jesus came to you right now and said, man, 2020, brand new year, brand new decade, what would you want? Would you even know what to ask for? Well, uh, you know, just Jesus, now that you ask, I'm kind of drawing a blank. Uh, <laughs> not really sure. I didn't get real clear on my goals this year. Well, how, how could you hit a target you don't have? I, most of us are like ships in the sea with no rudder. We're just out there. in the water... And the ocean's just kind of taking us wherever the current is going. And then we complain, oh, I don't like my life. Oh, how did I end up here? Well, you didn't have a destination. You're not steering the ship anywhere, you're not clear on the target. You see, when I read this story over again the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites being led out of Egypt by Moses and into the promised land by Joshua, here's what I saw Joshua had extreme. Clarity. Listen to Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Remember, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. So Josh, pay attention. Moses is dead. Therefore, I love these words, the time has come. Maybe that's all you needed to hear today. The time has come. It's 2020. What have you been waiting for to take your life to the next level? The time has come to change your life. Josh, Moses is dead, and now is the time for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I promised them to your forefather, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15. The time has come. Not to set up camp in the wilderness. Not to start an NFL team. Not to start a baseball team. Not to start a business. No, no, no. Josh, listen up. Pay attention. Super clear. You're going to take my people across the Jordan River into the promised land. Did they have a target? Yes or no? Did they have a target? Yes or no? Talk to me. Yes or no? Did they have a target? Did they have extreme clarity? Did Joshua have a vision to chase after? Yes He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He was going to take these people across the Jordan River. Why? Because the time had come. Has your time come? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you frustrated enough to say, gosh, I think it's time. It's time to change my life. Extreme clarity. Why does extreme clarity help people to get into the promised land? How does that work? Well, in your notes, extreme clarity produces focus. And focus is the most powerful thing a human being has within themselves, the ability to focus. Now, most people don't focus. But when people do focus, they do amazing things with or without God. Lots of people are atheists, agnostics, want nothing to do with God, and they've changed the world. Why? Because of this thing called focus. Think of Adolf Hitler. Successfully killed 11 million people probably the epitome of evil embodied. How did he do that? He was completely and utterly focused on building his regime. Focus. It's powerful. This is how human beings do this. This is how Mother Teresa changed the world. Focus. This is how Steve Jobs changed the world. Focus. This is how Bill Gates changed the world. He focused, like, like you don't even need God for this. Can I say that in church and you guys will be okay? Can I say that? I'm not, I'm not talking, about, we need God. I'm not saying, I'm saying but, but this is just a thing that God has made us with, the ability to focus. And when a human being focuses, they can almost just do almost about anything. Kobe Bryant is, is a person that I respect even more so now that he's retired. He's one of the greatest players in the NBA. He was the greatest Laker of all time. Notice I didn't say player of all time because he's not the greatest player of all time. But he is the greatest Laker of all time. He's got five championship rings. He actually has more 60-point games than Michael Jordan. That's about the only thing that he has over Michael. But anyway, (laughs) much respect to Kobe. Much respect to Kobe. In an interview recently, this is what he said. Basketball for me was the most important thing. When he was 13 years old, he decided he wanted to be the greatest of all time. It was the most important thing in his life, complete extreme clarity. So everything I saw, whether it was TV shows, books I read, or people I talked to, watch this, everything was done to try to learn how to become a better basketball player, everything. On the night he got drafted, when he was 18, went from high school to the NBA, instead of going out and having a party with his friends, guess where he went? He went to the gym to shoot jump shots. He was notoriously known for being a recluse. His, after the games, his teammates would go out and have fun and have party party and he would go home or he would stay late and shoot and practice or work on some skills. And he, ex- and he wasn't the tallest and he wasn't the fastest and he wasn't the quickest and he wasn't the strongest and he wasn't the biggest, but he was one of the best. He separated himself because he was completely and utterly focused. And where did that focus come from? It came from his clarity, his clarity of what he wanted. Is this making sense, yes or no? See what happens when we focus in is we leverage this thing that God has made us with called our reticular activating system, our RAS in your notes. We leverage our reticular activating system. It's this little piece of our brain that lies at the bottom of our brain stem. It's about the size of our pinky and what it does is it serves as a filter. We have thousands and thousands of images coming at us every day, every day, colors, people, languages, uh, different, di- different videos, uh, di- different ideas, and, and we can't possibly process it all, it's too much, it overwhelms us. So our RAS serves as our filter, and it, and it only allows in information that we deem or that it deems relevant or important. This is how we get things done, otherwise we wouldn't get anything done because we'd be completely distracted, and some of you are, <laughs> which is why you don't get anything done, anyway. Your RAS is God's tool to help you to focus. Now, how? But here's the question. What, what tells the RAS to let certain information in and, and, and block other information out? Well, that's your choice. What you choose to focus on. Whatever you choose to focus on will then allow information in that is pertinent to that idea. This is how it works. In your notes, there's a little triangle. It's a circle up here. But we first choose to focus in. Where did the focus come from? It came from extreme clarity. Kobe Bryant wanted to be the best player in the world. So we start to focus. Then then our brain only allows in information, our RAS only allows in information relevant to what we're focusing on. You could also put the word evidence down here. It's searching for information and evidence to bring about this result that you chose to focus on. And then what happens is we begin to develop a belief system because now we have evidence and we believe it's possible to do that thing. I remember when I was in high school, I wanted to be the best basketball player. I wanted to be Michael Jordan, I did. Problem was, I was 6'3", and not very athletic, and um, had a lot of problems, other problems too, but I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. And so I would focus on that, and I would practice. I remember one particular game, I was coming down the left side, we were playing our rival, Newdorp High School, and it was like five, four, three, two, we were down two points, and, and, and I hit this, this three-pointer to win the game at the buzzer and the crowd came out and I was a sophomore in high school, I was about 15 years old and, they, and the, my teammates cleared the bench and they started to you know gang tackle me and so I'm, I'm like on the ground like this and everybody's screaming and the crowd's coming out and if my brother hadn't come over to me, my older brother was on my team, he came over to me and he straddled me like this and he put his arms over me and he basically held the whole team on his back and the crowd and they were all jumping and screaming and if he hadn't done that I probably would have died that day. <laughs> so I owe my life to my older brother Jimmy. And after they started to come off of his back, he picked me up and he grabbed me and he dragged me to the locker room. And it was like this euphoric ESPN moment, like, na-na-na, it was the highlight of my life." <laughs> and what happened was I was so focused. Now I had information. Now I had evidence that created a belief good. I hit a game-winning, buzzer-beating shot. And then I, you know, I took that belief system and I took it into my junior year and took it into my senior year and broke the scoring record at my high school. And I, and I, wasn't, I wasn't a great basketball player, but I was a good high school player. Well, how did that happen? It happened because of the RAS. That's the way it works. That's how people achieve Great things with their life. They choose to focus and then their brain gathers information and evidence which generates belief. Now, this works the opposite way too. This kills people, this destroys people. People focus on, well, I'm not good enough. Well, I'm I'll, I'll never lose the weight, or I can't run a business, or I'm not a very good parent. And then we gather up information that supports that what you're focusing on. See, see, look, you failed as a mom, as a business person. Now there's evidence, and it generates a belief. Oh, man, I knew I couldn't do this. I knew I couldn't run a business. I knew I couldn't be a good mom. I knew I couldn't. I knew I couldn't be a good student. And then it, it just, whew, round and round we go. This works for good or for bad. It's your choice. Focus. Where does the focus come from? It comes from extreme clarity. Caesar Milan, Caesar Milan, I gotta tell this story. The dog whisper came to this country with a hundred dollars. Became the greatest dog trainer of all time. Now, do you know he trains like governors and presidents in different countries how to deal with their dogs? Who does that? Caesar Milan does the dog whisperer. <laughs> When he was 13, when he was 13, he asked his mom. It really was a question, but it was a desire in his heart. Mom, do you think I can become the greatest dog trainer in the world? And his mom responded and said, honey, you can do whatever you focus on. When he was asked how he had such incredible success coming from Mexico to America with $100 in his pocket, how he became the greatest dog trainer in the world, you know what his answer was? I focused. My entire life was focused on my goal. So how do you and I do that? How do you and I gain this extreme clarity? Let me give you three quick ideas. This is how I do it. Number one, you have to spend time in God's word every single day. Put God's truth in front of your mind every single day. This is what he says is most important. Listen, this isn't a self-help program. This isn't a motivational speech. Like Joshua didn't sit back and say, you know, what do I wanna do with my life? It's 2020, you know, or whatever year it was. <laughs> what do I wanna do with my life? I think, I think I'd like to take the people across the Jordan River into the promised land. It wasn't Joshua's idea. Whose idea was it? It was God's idea, hey Josh, my my servant Moses is dead. Now is the time, you've been wandering around for 40 years, take my people across the Jordan into the promised land. We are searching for what God has for our life. God, what, what does my promised land look like? What does what my upgrade look like? Well, you got to get into his word. Listen to what it says in, in, in Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new, new person by changing the way you think. And then when you change the way you think, watch this. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life. So you're like, I don't know what God wants for my life. I don't know what his will is for my life. Well, it's because you're not spending time in this book every single day. He will reveal it to you. What his will is for relationships, your sexuality, your finances, for your occupation. He will show you his will if you spend time in his book. Rick Warren said it famously. He said, daily reading of God's word keeps you within God's voice. Range of God's voice. This is some of the best advice I took, you know, maybe 15 years ago. And every single day I exposed myself to God's word. Why? Because he speaks to us. He speaks to us about what he wants our life to look like. Spend daily time in God's word. Number two, meditate. Meditate on the brevity of life, the shortness of life. Life is short. A very dear friend of mine and a dear friend of all of you, if you knew who he was and some of you do, passed away on Christmas Day this year, Don Byers. He probably rocked your babies here at church. He served on the impact team in the nursery. Precious, precious man. I did his funeral just recently. He lived a very good life. He blessed many, many people. Here's what I took away from that funeral. Man, life is short. Don was here, enjoying life, being a great granddad. And now Don is not here. The Bible talks about life being like a vapor or a mist or like the flowers of the field that's here today and then they're gone tomorrow. We don't have forever. Life is short. And when we think about the brevity of life and the shortness of life, what happens? Well, what happens is that the most important things begin to rise to the surface. And the less important things fade away. The shortness of life gives us wisdom when we think about it. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may gain a heart of what? Wisdom. What is wisdom? It's knowing what to do and when to do it. It's knowing what's most important in life. What's really going on? There's a Twitter handle called the Daily Death Reminder. This is kind of dark. (laughs) I want to show you what it says here. The Daily Death Reminder. Some of you are going to follow it. Some of you are like, I won't follow that. you crazy? The Daily Death Reminder. They follow no one, but they have 23,900 followers. I'm one of them. They send out one tweet a day, whoever this person is. You know what the tweet is? It's a real simple tweet. Same tweet every, every single day. You will die someday. That's the tweet. Every day, same tweet. And every day it is favorited anywhere from 550 to 800 times, and it's retweeted anywhere from 150 to 200 times. I, I, I like them, and I retweet them sometimes. Some of you have seen that. You say, why would you follow that? Why would you? That's dark. I know, I, I, I confess, I'm a bit dark, okay? As your pastor, I have a dark side, okay? So <laughs> here's why I follow that, because I need to be reminded that life is short. Like, I'm gonna die, you're gonna die. And if that's true, and it is true, then I need to be about the most important thing. See, <laughs> meditating and contemplating the brevity of life gives you extreme clarity about what's most important. Yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, okay. So number two, think about the brevity of life of life. Let me give you this third one, number three. In your notes, ask this question, does it, does it impact others? There's seven and a half billion people on this planet. There's no way your upgrade will touch, will just be for you. It's going to touch other people. It's not going to be just for you. Philippians chapter two, verse four, the Apostle Paul says this, let each of you look not only to your own interests, don't just think about yourself this year, Just, just don't, don't, don't think about yourself this decade, but also take a Take an interest in, say it with me, in others. Your upgrade will touch the lives of others. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. got this. He understood this. He gave his life for the benefit of others. Listen to what he said. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What are you doing for others? If your upgrade does not touch the lives of others, it's probably not from God. God. There's seven and a half billion of us on this planet. It's going, your upgrade is going to be for you, yes, but it's also going to be for others. Even if it's getting set free from an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography, it's going to touch others. It's going to bless others. God wants to take your business to the next level. It's not just going to be so you can have more money to buy more stuff for yourself. It's going to be so that you can have more money to give it away. God wants to get your finances in order and and follow Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps. It's not going to be just for you. Sure, you'll have financial peace because you won't have so much stress from the debt. But what's the seventh step in Dave's program, right? We live like no one else so that one day we can give like no one else. It's always gonna come back to other people. There's too many people on this planet for it to be just about you. Think broader. God puts you on this planet to bless others. So I'm just giving you a couple of ideas, a couple of ideas to say, well, how do I get that extreme clarity that Kobe Bryant had or that Caesar Milan had or that Joshua had? Get in God's word every day. Meditate on the brevity of life and answer this question. Does it impact others? This week, this week, here's your homework. Take this question with you. What's my upgrade? Just take it with you. Work through those three things I just gave you and and seek God for that clarity and say, God, what area of my life do you wanna take to the next level? What do you wanna upgrade? Now is the time. Listen to what God said to Joshua. The time has come. Like, if not now, when? Like, life is short. Like, why not right now? Why not cross the Jordan River right now and go into the promised land? I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna try. How about you? Now, as we wrap up, there's some of you here today. You need to understand, God's plan for you is to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, Plans for good, not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. I am telling you as a preacher, okay, and I'm gonna get my preach on here a little bit. Okay, I do that? As a preacher of the gospel, there's no way that your future is good and and, and there's hope without Jesus. You might accomplish great things with your life. You might be the next Kobe Bryant. You might be the next Cesar Milan. but I'm telling you what, in, in the long run, in the long run, it will not be good without Jesus. You want Jesus in your life. God wants what's best for you, and what's best for you is to be in a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Without him, there is no hope. There is no future. And so some of you need to take a step of faith and, and ask Christ into your life and forgive you of your sins and be your savior and your guide and your master and your Lord. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you just reach out to him in faith and. Tell him you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again so that you can have life, be forgiven, find true joy and peace and contentment, satisfaction, meaning and purpose. You just tell him that. He loves to answer that prayer. He'll step into your life right now and save you from your sins. If that's where you're at right now, whatever campus you're at, Theodore House, Microsites, Johnson County Work Release, wherever you are, Franklin Banta online, Wherever you're watching, here at Greenwood, Garfield Park, if that's you right now, I'm going to take these words, make them your own, and put your faith in Christ. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I want a good future. A future with hope, with blessing, filled with joy. And I know I, I can't have that without you. So right now, in this moment, I ask you to be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me in my place so that I can have life, forgiveness that I could be in a relationship with you. So I invite you in. Fill me with your spirit and teach me, teach me how to follow, to love, to honor, to obey everything you say. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray that prayer, our church wants to rejoice with you. Come on, all of our campuses everywhere. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to let us know by texting the word SAVED to 65248. The reason we want you to do that is just to to let us know how we can support. We wanna support you. We wanna come alongside of you as, as a church, give you the proper resources. And we also wanna put a box in your hand, a saved box inside this box. There's a cool cup from us to you as a gift. And is also a Bible in here with a reading plan to get you started on your new journey with Christ. You can pick these up at the back of uh, your auditorium there. One more time, can we give God glory? Amen. Amen.